0: Welcome to another episode of Grid Forward Chats, a podcast series with industry leaders on what lies ahead for our electric grid. These podcasts are hosted by Grid Forward Executive Director, Bryce Yonker.
1: Welcome to the the next edition of Grid Forward Chats. Uh, We are here live with an audience during our, our annual Grid Forward meeting, and we're welcoming with us this time, Alice Jackson, the President of Excel Energy out of Colorado. Welcome, Alice.
2: Howdy, it's great to be here with you. Nice to see you, Bryce.
1: Thanks for being on. Thanks for being willing to do it live. Makes an extra fun uh, fun component here. So, it sure uh, does. can you maybe introduce yourself, tell folks about uh, who you are and, and uh, who Excel is, and Excel in particular in Colorado?
2: Uh, absolutely, happy to do so. So, as Bryce said, my name is Alice Jackson. I have the pleasure of serving as president of Excel Energy Colorado. Um, Colorado is one of the eight states that excel energy serves uh, both from a, from an electric perspective across all eight, and then a number of the states also have gas. Um, in the state of Colorado, I have gas as well as a little known steam business that's the oldest continuously operating steam business uh, in the country. So like I said, state of Colorado, uh, we have roughly one point six million electric customers, roughly one point four million gas customers um, and in that steam system that I was mentioning so, Lots of different variety of communities. Um, You can imagine the politics across those eight states as well that we work through, um, but many opportunities and great things to come.
1: Thank you for that overview. So we're seven months into a global pandemic, which is both local in all its forms and regional and national. Um, How are you holding in there? How how are the, the employees and customers and the folks that you work with? How's everybody doing?
2: No, it's a great question, you know, and it's one that's top of mind for many people right now and not unlike many other businesses, we had to pivot and adjust really quickly uh, to various things. But I do believe that, you know, one of the things that came to the forefront really fast is that the services that we provide, because they are such a life essential, we were right there on the front line with all of the other essential workers. So while many people were thinking of the healthcare industry and doctors, You know, we were looking at, okay, how do we make sure we continue to provide reliable, safe services, not only to our customers, but for the employees that we have? How do we maintain their safety as well as we move through this? So, you know, I have to give a huge shout out to all utility uh, critical workers and essential workers across the system, because can you just imagine, Bryce, what this would have been like if we were going through the time period without electricity or without gas? Um, it would just have made it that much more unbearable, that much more the civil unrest, you know, everything that could have come from that. was You don't want to think about it. So when you really concentrate on what we need to do to remain connected and providing these services to our communities, we had to make sure that those critical and essential workers that we have were taken care of. And that's everyone from, say, the gas responders, when you get a phone call that somebody smells gas of being able to go into a home, uh, to working at the power plant. Um, and making sure that you have, you know, the critical infrastructure, the PPE in place, the different routines that you take for granted on a day-to-day basis? How have you shifted those to manage uh, COVID, to reduce the uh, possibility of transmission, and to just generally make sure people are really safe? So we've all been focusing on that. I think we've gotten into more of a routine now, Uh, not to say that there aren't lessons learned that we go through every single day, Uh, but we really did have to pivot and focus. And I can guarantee you that our pandemic plan will look a whole lot different than it did before this started.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think all of the utilities that we have onto our podcast series, because the level of reliability that the systems have maintained uh, through it all, the continuity plans that they had put in place that they didn't know were going to need to be applied to a global mm-hmm. pandemic. It really has been pretty astounding. Everybody's working at home, our digital lives that are all the more reliant on affordable, reliable power. So so thank you for all the work that, that the employees there have done amongst that. So let's dive into some of the topics. Excel was one of the early, especially amongst utilities, organizations to say we're just going all in on clean. So can you talk a little bit about how that commitment to uh, you know a fully clean energy mix uh, across your operations. how does that shape the direction of the organization? How is it aligning priorities and what you all are trying to, to put in motion there?
2: Well, you know, Bryce, I do really think it has to come, become part of your lifeblood, become part of your values, become part of your core structure whenever you make such an announcement and you look at, uh, forward on what it is that you can possibly do and so you know we did announce in december of 2018 um, not only that we want to reach a zero carbon system by 2050 but that we have kind of this midpoint um, in 2030 of an 80 percent carbon reduction from our 2005 levels and we also talk about how we have to do that between two really important guardrails first off reliability you got to keep the lights on uh, that's fundamental to what it is that we are doing and then the second piece of the puzzle is affordability you know, equity and those discussions are so big and part of our conversations and the rhetoric that we're having today, you know, that has been core and it needs to be core to the services that we provide because just like you and I were talking about, they're life essentials. It's not like you can go out today and sit there and say, you know what, I just don't need that in order to be able to move forward. It's in rare instances that ha- that happens. Uh, and so we really have to focus on that. So we went back and we started looking at, okay, how do we make this work? What does it mean? Because if it's not good news for all of our employees, right? When you talk about we are closing, like in Colorado, Comanche 1 and 2, that has an impact. It has an impact on community, that has an impact on employees. So what do you do to make it a positive experience? How do you roll forward with that? What are the things you have to consider so that you are all in, uh, in the discussion and in your planning as you move forward? Um, and I think what we've done, you know, even during the pandemic is we've figured out you have to look at the short term, but you definitely have to plan for the long term. And it's not just about Excel Energy. We aren't the only ones that are looking at doing this. So the technologies that we need beyond 2030 for those zero carbon dispatchable resources to fill the gap between the variable renewables that we've been experiencing and looking at, that's where we have to focus. But it's much more than Excel that's going to be buying those products and services. So we need to make sure that we're putting out there and working collaboratively on what those problems are that we're trying to solve.
1: So can we talk a little bit about the technologies? I mean, maybe not as much the generation mix, but to get to a carbon-free system, certainly you have to make some investments in modernization, in the way that the system itself runs. How is the priorities that the organization there is putting into place, whether it's for modernization, whether it's for other functionalities on the system? How are those efforts taking shape as a way to get to that end objective?
2: You know, when we view the solution set that you need to move towards, it's not just about changing generation mix on the system. It's about changing that generation mix as well as working on the customer side. So being able to work on that customer side and really collaborating with a customer on how they consume their energy, whether that's because of an expansion of um electric vehicles uh for example on the system and making sure that they're charging in those hours that aren't going to drive the peak up you know that collaboration has to happen which means you have to have more data sharing you have to have more information uh than ever so speaking specifically to colorado back in 2016 We went before our Public Utilities Commission and said, you know what, we see some writing on the wall. We need to have more visibility into the distribution system. We need to be able to communicate with a customer that much more and for our customer to be aware of how they're using energy. So we have approval and we are moving forward with implementing an advanced grid system here in the state of Colorado. Um, actual deployment of meters will start uh, heavily next year and we'll finish with all of that deployment. So all 1.6 million of our uh, customers on the electric side of the business will have their meters replaced by the end of 2024. And that allows the possibilities uh, to be much more broad um, in those conversations in collaborating with those customers on what does it look like for their consumption patterns going forward. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just the distribution system. It's the commercial customer side. It's getting more sensors and availability of information, um, as well as forecasting. So back when we started this wind uh, progression and in addition of wind to our system, we didn't have good forecasting tools on simply what the wind speeds were going to be in order to be able to see how much was going to be generated from that. So you partner with others like the National Renewable Energy Laboratory or the Atmospheric Research Association, and you work with them to develop tools and technologies so that your commercial operations team, who is responsible for making sure that the, the grid stays balanced and the electricity is coming from where it needs to instantaneously, they have the tools to be able to pull in those pieces of information and keep the lights on.
1: How deep is the scale of flexibility with engaging in load for you guys? Is, is this a significant resource that you all are envisioning to, to get to the to the uh, objective? Is it is it something you're putting in into motion sooner rather than later?
2: So flexibility is incredibly important. And I can tell you we're in the midst of preparing for our electric resource plan that goes in next year in order to show what is the pathway to get to the 80 percent carbon reduction by 2030 in Colorado. And it does incorporate, you know, you have to take into all of those pieces of the puzzle of consideration. But Bryce, I think a really good example of how flexibility is important is looking at the system that we have today. Uh, so just to geek out with me for a little bit, and let's go deep let's on a couple of numbers. Yes. Um, so in Colorado, our system peaks around 6,900 megawatts. Um, and in that, we currently have right now installed on our system close to 4,000 megawatts of wind. Um, you can imagine what the ramp rates might look like as those winds come off of the mountains into the plains, which is where the, you know, predominantly the wind is installed. And it ramps up and it ramps, ramps down depending upon those cold fronts that push through. Well, we have a really uh, essential uh, system on our system, which was built in the 19 late 1940s, early 1950s, which is a pumped hydro facility. Mm-hmm. It's over 380 megawatts. We can ramp that thing up and down. It really does help balance that wind on our system. So it's a battery storage technology um, that you don't hear as much about today, but it's one that has enabled us to do even more on our system here in Colorado than maybe other systems could tolerate. Uh, So that's one of the factors. You really have to look at what are the different components of the puzzle. Um, And they all really come into play, but the transparency, the visibility, into those operations, being able to call on them and knowing they're going to respond uh, whenever you call on them, I would say those are really important factors that we have to keep in consideration as we continue to move through time. Because Bryce, I don't know about you, but I still don't have a phone that I can pick up and say, hey God, I need a little more wind or can you make those clouds move so that I can have a little more sun? It's just not there yet. So we still do have to focus on the dispatchable zero carbon resources, and that's where the technological advancements uh, we really are pushing and looking for on our system.
1: So if I heard you right, it, flexibility by load critical, like a big building block. Flexibility by way of storage critical, a major building block. And storage that doesn't just mean you know lithium ion in in a in a small you know distribution way. What about other levels of flexibility from more of the traditional generation resources? You know, here in the Pacific Northwest, that's hydro, right, at at the large scale. But, you know, the industry is kind of being overtaken by the promise of, you know, distributed solar really scaling or other more distributed resources. Is there a view into the flexibility that you get from a new set of kind of the new wave of distributed assets that are coming online?
2: Well, distributed assets absolutely have a place to play. You know, in the state of Colorado here, I have uh, close to 60,000 of my 1.2 million residential customers that have rooftop solar. Uh, And we continue that to see those numbers increase by about 5,000 plus customers a year. And that has a place to play on the system as a whole. But I also think you have to look at both ends. Just like I was talking about, you're not going to solve this just in one place. You have to look in all different perspectives. I'm really excited about some of the things our company has been doing. So in Minnesota, uh, we have a couple of nuclear facilities and those nuclear facilities. You know, everybody says you can't flex a nuclear facility, right? Well, we actually put that challenge to our nuclear team and they have been able to flex those resources uh, in the MISO. And so they've been participating actively there and looking at technologies and things that we can do in those spaces uh, to make sure uh, that we are ready and we are competitive and we can respond. Uh, to higher levels of variable resources on the system. It's the same thing in Colorado. At some of our you know, gas units that we have, we've been working hard to make sure that they have more flexible ramp rates, that you can uh, start them faster. Many people are investing in these pieces of the puzzle, but I would say it's not all eggs go into one basket. Uh, you need to make sure you have a variety because people still expect very reliable services from the utilities, and that's what we have to deliver on.
1: Well, well, all you had to say was MISO, and then I'll tee up our next question. Uh, Elliot Mainzer, uh-huh. who just started last week at CalISO, he's going to be kind of the last word of the event in about a week and a half, of basically on the same topic. But, but you all just uh, recently announced uh, the move into the Western EIM. Can you talk a little bit about the value that you guys see in access to markets and how that plays into all of the equation here?
2: Absolutely. I wish I had a map that we could pull up right now, Bryce, because um, I think the nighttime map of the U.S. is a great one to look at when you're having this conversation, because many people look at and point to the eastern markets and go, why don't we have those in the west? Um, but if you simply look at the lighting density um, on the eastern half of the United States versus the western, I think you get a lot of answers right there. Um, it's much harder to connect our communities. Uh, if you think about Colorado and where Denver is located, um, it, we have the Rocky Mountains to our west. Um, They're beautiful. People love to go visit them. I love living here and being able to see them, but they are a little bit of an inhibitor to building a transmission line, um, you know, directly that direction. So figuring out how this market looks like and moves forward is going to be, you know, really critical to our conversations. But when I also look at um, the availability of various resources, um, you know, solar is so prevalent in the Southwest, in the Nevada and Utah areas. Um, looking at what we're doing in our own communities and where we have, say, I would say going back to those problem statements where we're trying to fill some of the gaps with uh, carbon free uh, energy on our system. There are some synergies. There is a long term future here that has some probabilities and benefits, not only for Excel in Colorado, but for the other utilities that are in our balancing area uh, and beyond. Uh, So when we look at the California ISO and we look at the California EIM and moving that direction, we're excited about the possibilities. First off, the dispatch algorithms that they have and just optimizing our costs for our customers between who's already here, that brings a benefit immediately. Um, The work that they're doing to move forward on the day ahead market, um, that also is going to be a benefit from a financial perspective for our customers as well. But then continuing to look at long term, what's the potential for our renewables to help those farther west, those farther west uh, with their renewables to help us a little bit to the east? Um, there's some symbiotic relationships there that could really work out nicely. It's going to take a lot of coordination um, and a lot of work, uh, but I think it's something that we should all be looking at closely to see what's the best way for us all to drive towards a low carbon future that's low cost for our customers.
1: So I know that the expanse of the EIM is is vast and is that some of the that geographic diversity, that resource diversity, is that some of what you guys think, you know, some of the the future potential is? I mean, I know you guys are looking both west and east as far as where you can get and south for where you can get uh, value and access to regional markets
2: no it absolutely is the diversity of the the geography is incredibly important as well as continuing to manage the flexibility of resources and as you and i both know that also means that you have to be looking at the transmission uh because yeah. you can't deliver it unless you have the space on the wires um and that is one of the limiting pieces you know we were mentioning um you know the the western boundary i have here of the rocky mountains uh, so looking at those different ways of getting places it makes a difference Our BA here in Colorado is about 8,000 megawatts. Uh, When we were exploring the Mountain West transmission group, that would get us to about 12,000 megawatts in in, in an area. Um, When you compare that to ERCOT, MISO, SPP, it just pales in comparison to size. Um, And so really that diversity is something that you're looking at when you consider the markets to the West and how do we better interconnect um, and bring together the benefits that each of us have in our areas to work collaboratively.
1: So, Lisa Groh, your colleague at Idaho Power, uh, we talked almost exclusively around transmission for our discussion. So, I might as well just ask you, where, where are the constraints within your guys' territory? Are they are they very real right now? Will they become more of, a, of an issue looking ahead with, the, with the, the vision that you guys have set out right now?
2: Well, I think that there's always opportunities to expand the transmission side. Uh, you know, right now, immediately, we're looking more inside of our state. Um, you know, in order to meet the 20 by the 80% carbon reduction by 2030, uh, we need more access to, uh, call them the energy, the renewable energy zones inside of our own state. Um, and so working very much on looking at what is necessary, uh, to enable and unlock, uh, some of those developments and those pieces of the puzzle. That's a primary function. Um, a secondary look is looking at, okay, neighbors. Um, How do you better connect to your neighbors? How do you better leverage access to those areas uh, for both, you know, uh, sides, either utility or um, operating areas? Uh, So those are all in consideration, Bryce. I would say there's not really anything off the table right now.
1: I pretty much asked everybody this question, and it means something different to each geography, but it obviously has a very much of a core of the same same definition. But but as far as resiliency is concerned. What are you all learning from putting continuity plans into practice, putting them into practice with a global pandemic, with wildfires, with with so many things that have come to reality this year? Um, How important is this topic? What does it look like there at Excel?
2: No, I think utilities have been core to looking at resiliency. Um, Just think of the way that we do black start planning. Uh, You know, that's the ultimate terrible outcome. Right. You have to restart your system from dark. Um, that has to be something that's core to our function though, is we recognize the, the importance of the, the service that we provide to our communities and our customers. Uh, the reliability of our system is paramount. Uh, so being able to build in that resiliency and that redundancy is important, which is why you also hear, uh, maybe uh, you, you know, we're gung ho about reaching these targets and these goals, but we're very much going to be looking very closely at the reliability of the system to make sure that it's the right step, that we're making the right timing of the right steps. Um, because, you know, while others may want us to go faster, we want to make sure that we also can keep the lights on. Uh, and that's a really important component of what it is that we do and the service that we provide to our communities and our customers. So I think from a resiliency perspective, we're going to continue to look at it. We're going to continue to learn. Um, you know, we had stockpiles and inventory associated with PPE on hand but we didn't imagine um, and run through, okay, what would happen in a global pandemic to impact those stockpiles? So we're probably gonna revise, you know, what it is that we're looking at. So you continuously learn, adapt, um, and, you know, adjust uh, as these different things come up? But I do think that partnering on a variety of these things, you know, we, we too face the wildfire conversation. Uh, you know, the pandemic conversation is here. We've faced floods before in our regions, you know, deep freezes uh, if you're going all the way up to our northern borders. Uh you know so these are all things that we have to plan for. We drill around to make sure that we're ready for um and we bring in outside partners because it's not just about us once again. Um you know the emergency operations centers that start in our state, we man them as well. Uh you know we're sitting there alongside our community leaders and the members uh whenever we're trying to address the statewide impact. And this case was no different and it won't be any different when we go forward and we have the next ice storm or bomb cyclone that we have to face. We'll be there, we'll be collaborating and we'll be ready.
1: I was there for the bomb cyclone in, in April last year. That was wild. But I, I, it was a perfect 2020 moment when I caught the news that it was snowing over the wildfires there in Colorado this year. So it's just so as far as electrification goes, as a topic, hopping over there, I, I know that you all have put pretty significant plans into motion. I, I'm sure you're pretty excited about them. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the role that you think? The utility there has as far as transitioning to an electrified transportation future?
2: No, absolutely. It is an exciting future on how we can play. And I think that, you know, it's remarkable that as we've been successful in moving our electric generation to a cleaner and cleaner footprint, um, the opportunities that we have as a community and as a society to look at other areas that have opportunities uh, to clean up their emissions as well. And as you know, I'm sure. The transportation sector is the number one emitter at this point in time from a carbon perspective. So being able to electrify that transportation component really brings benefits um, for our systems as a whole. And I'm not talking from the utility perspective, I'm talking from us just as a community perspective. So we are very excited about moving into that space and being able to assist and be there uh, for that transition. And here in the state of Colorado, particularly our governor, I think it was his second um, executive order on the job. He mentioned he announced that he'd like to reach a nine hundred forty thousand electric vehicles on the road by 2030. Um, we um, a couple of weeks ago uh, announced our goal across. 940,000
1: so close to a million.
2: I know you're close., <laughs> so, but that's what the study said, so that's where they went. Okay, that's um, good. But about a month ago, Bryce, we came out and we said across our eight states, we think we can hit about one and a half million electric vehicles in our service territories. Um and so that's something that we're working towards, and uh, really excited about the date different target things.
1: on that one and a half million.
2: Um, if I remember correctly, it was the twenty thirty time frame as well. Yeah, that is what we're trying for, you know, And looking at how do we enable that to happen, whether it's providing programs to our residential customers. But really, we've covered every tier. We have a way for, um, you know, multifamily dwelling units to be able to install uh, the chargers themselves and have a way that they can um, share those chargers amongst multiple tenants, um, you know, all the way up to advisory for our communities on where they should build, how they should build, how they can electrify their own fleet. Um, and then we're concentrating on our own shops, right? Looking at our, our own fleets that we have on how can we electrify them and move them forward. So I think there's a lot of opportunity here for utilities and others to engage. Um, and it's really about tipping past that, that, that tipping point where people have that comfort level of owning an EV. Um, I got there last year and I love mine. Um, I drive it all over the place. Um, but not everybody, you know, has that same sensitivity factor to it. And I think it's important for us to help. Um, that sector electrify and to be able to get more people comfortable uh, with that it's it's going to be the right thing for their lifestyle
0: pardon this quick interruption do you like the in-depth interviews on grid forward chats subscribe to our channel on apple google spotify or podbean apps that way you don't miss a single chat and learn more about grid forward at gridforward.org now back to the show
1: How's the regulatory interface on the electrification strategy working? I know that in Minnesota and Colorado, you've had proceedings. You have commissions that are seemingly pretty active on this topic. Uh, Is it going smoothly? Is there unexpected bumps in the road? What, how's that unfolding?
2: I think you and I can agree. The regulatory process is always complex. Um, And that's not a bad thing necessarily, but it is something that is, it's a complexity uh, that you have to go through and and look at and respond and respect. Um, So in Minnesota, we were able to put a pilot out for our residential customers. I think it was a little over two years ago. Um, And that has now become a full fledged program for our customers where we uh, bring them a charger in their home. Uh, They have a certain fixed rate for, um, the charging that they do of their EVs uh, once, as long as it's within the time period, namely off-peak hours. And in Colorado, we were excited. Um, legislation was passed in 2019 that actually allows us to participate uh, in the electric vehicle and infrastructure ownership side. Previously, we had been prohibited from doing so. And on May 15th of this year, we filed a plan uh, with the Public Utilities Commission that proposes roughly $100 million in investment over the next three years um, across a, a whole range of activities on the electric vehicle charging side, including infrastructure and public charging to individual residential and commercial areas. So uh, we're excited. That's currently in the process at the Public Utilities Commission. We received over 3,000 pages of testimony this past Monday on, you know, people's feedback. Uh, on what we should be doing better, what we should change, what we should consider. So we're currently going through all of that information and getting ready to make a response and look forward to having the discussion with our regulator on what should we do um, and continuing to move forward to support the state um, on their goals.
1: So uh, I think of our first six or seven hosts from utilities, they're, they've all been CEOs, um, one has been a gentleman, so that's, that's kind of fun to see how that's going here at, at the top of the helmet at, at Utilities in the West. A lot of our conversations in the next week and a half do center around how are we advancing the functionality of our system, but they also take into consideration things along the lines of equity, inclusion, access, diversity. What does those areas look like as far as how's Excel prioritizing them? How important are they for the industry? Um, What would your thoughts be on those topics?
2: No, I think it's a great question. It's something that we all need to focus on. Um, What I will say is that it is a core focus for our company. Um, Our CEO, Ben Folk, is currently the president of uh, EEI, and he has stated that this is one of his core focuses as during his presidency and his leadership uh, over EEI for the next year. Uh, and it is something internally that we focus on as well. Um, you know, we've, for years, uh, we have really, you know, concentrated on veteran hiring, on expanding women in the workforce. Uh, and we have great groups inside of our company that we call business resource groups to really support the diversity of our staff, whether it's, uh, for, you know, cultural purposes, it's life choice purposes, uh, gender parity, you know, all of those things. We've had lots of feedback um, and continue to look at these groups. I would say at this point in time, we're doubling down even more. And um, you know, the way that we look at it and the way that the numbers look is that one of the number one places you have to start looking is in your hiring practices. And really making sure that you have a diverse pool of candidates whenever you sit down to look at who's going to come in and fill the role that you need someone to be in. Uh, So continuing to look at how do you make sure that you're expanding that diverse pool Uh, is a focus, and it's something that we have to look at. The other piece of the puzzle, I would say, is being really sensitive to our communities and recognizing, you know, what it is that they need at any point in time. And how do we make sure uh, that we bring forward uh, that equity and inclusion in each of those communities? I think one of the beauties of being a regulated utility is that our rates and our pricing that goes along with it is equal for everyone. Um, And, you know, even in the state of Colorado, you know, we have laws in place that say, you know, we can't discriminate between customer classes, customer types. In fact, the only place that we can discriminate is the low income. And so, you know, keeping those things in mind and figuring out how do we do a better job, partnering with those in our communities, the nonprofits that really look to help uh, build a stronger community. That's a place where we're redoubling our efforts and looking at how do we get engaged to make sure that we're looking at the right things. Uh, whenever we plan the system going forward.
1: So my last question, I always like to end with a two-parter because you can take it wherever you want. So there's so much right now that could keep you up at night, that could have you concerned. So I think I'd ask you the first part of the question. What are you especially concerned with as far as what's unfolding out there, what you're seeing, what, what's happening, um, what worries you? And then this, the flip side of that, where are you really excited? What What do you think is a huge opportunity that's really interesting and, and really um you know, we're on the cusp of really seeing, seeing some good progress.
2: No, it's a great question. So as far as the kind of what keeps you at, at night, I'll stay away from the fact that I have four sons and that's plenty <laughs> to keep me awake at night. Um, and I'll stick with the work side of it. You know, I really do think from my perspective, it's the complexity that we're facing. People want to see results really quickly. Um, the things that we're talking about, the physics of the system, keeping the lights on, how do things interact, how do you respond to all the needs of the customers? Those are really complex, and they're hard, and they're deep. Uh, you don't have the easy sound bites when it comes to talking about VARs. Uh, that's something that we're going to have to talk about. Um, and so to me, one of the things that keeps me up at night is how do we make sure that people have, they're with us on the journey, I, I guess is the piece of the puzzle that I would put out there most bluntly is. Do they have the patience to walk with us to learn the things that we need to walk in the time frame that it's going to take to get there so that we can be successful and we will reach a zero carbon future that's cost effective for all the customers on the system in an equitable manner? So that I would say is the piece that keeps me up at night is because how complicated it is of the things that we are talking about here, Bryce, and the things you're going to address for the rest of your uh, forum here over the next couple of days. How do we make sure we're bringing people along on this journey with us that don't geek out like you and I did earlier in our conversation? Um, so that's the piece of the puzzle that keeps me up is figuring out how to have that communication, how to have those dialogues. If you can't tell that I'm excited about what we're doing and what we're looking at, um, you know, then I haven't done a good job on this podcast. Uh, but no, being in this industry is incredibly unique and rewarding. Um, and I'm sure people could have said that through time, but I would like to think of it as at this point in time, it's incredibly rewarding. Um, I don't know how many people are listening to us, but I don't, I would guess that not many of them went to high school going, yes, utility, that's where I'm going. Uh, you know, it's just not something that many of us think about. I know I wasn't there, but where I am now is I really do hope I get to retire from the utility industry because. The change that we are bringing, whether it's from the energy perspective and figuring out how to clean things up, but the benefits that we bring to our customer base, the benefits that we're getting to provide for our communities and giving back in that way is incredibly important and fulfilling. So I'm really excited about the transition and in the, in the technology um, evolution that we are in the midst of, the consumer awareness pieces that are going to come out of all of this. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to working and continuing to focus on how do we continue to drive that low carbon future, uh, you know, that's reliable and cost effective for all of our customers. So I'm really excited, Bryce. How about you?
1: (laughs) No, we're at the cusp of a huge of a huge revolution and and it's going to be a serious process. Alice, we thank you for being on to share your insights, your enthusiasm, uh, the leadership there at Excel. Uh, joined by many others who, who are thinking like-minded and, and digging in deep. So thanks for being on our session. Uh, we look forward to, to to being able to stay in touch with you and, and uh, see all the great progress you all are making.
2: Sounds good. Thank you, Bray.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Grid Forward Chats, our podcast series with industry leaders on what's driving grid modernization ahead. Check out our website at gridforward.org to learn more about our podcasts, virtual events, becoming a member, and our mission to promote grid innovation and accelerate modernization across our region.